0: sickle, bleeding saints and forest witches, the past unburied, the books unsealed, the old celebration returning. Welcome to my study. Uh, Please come in and have a seat. All the books around you here are those used to research our show, and the individual to my right, along with uh, managing domestic duties, serves as our reader for any passages that will be directly quoted from these sources. Her name is Mrs. Carswell.
1: Hello.
0: We uh, hope you all enjoyed our premiere of Mrs. Carswell's Psychic Bees in our last episode. I know she or herself out getting all those uh, individual readings out to those who requested them.
1: It was draining, physically and emotionally.
0: Oh, I, I can't say I'm not glad it's over, but I thought it went well, aside from the accident with the movers and the organ and everything.
1: That was terrible. The poor baboon.
0: The mandrel.
1: Yes, yes, mandrill. I know. You keep telling me. <sighs>
0: I've had him for probably 20 years, a stuffed mandrill at the bottom of the stairs. He probably should have been in a glass case, but he wasn't, and when they were turning the organ around the corner, they bumped it.
1: It was horrible. I was holding the door for them and saw it happen.
0: You actually screamed. I I heard you from upstairs.
1: They knocked off his jaw, but that wasn't why I screamed. It was the moths. I've been
0: meaning to get it treated.
1: A stream of moths poured out. It, it was the weirdest thing. I didn't even know what I was looking at. It was like it had come alive from inside. They just kept coming. I do
0: hate moths?
1: It was like its insides were pouring out. I think
0: you're exaggerating a bit, but there were a lot. I wasn't sure how we'd get them all out, but we ended up turning off the uh, inside lights and they... Eventually migrated out to the porch lights. An exterminator came for any stragglers.
1: I almost fainted. I mean, I was so exhausted from working with the bees already, and then, then that.
0: Well, Anyway, Mr. Bovard picked it up for repairs, but Phelps is getting the bill.
1: I just, I just felt particularly fragile that night.
0: Uh, I suppose the ape did too. I hope he can be salvaged with the moth damage. Anyway, uh, enough on that. Time to start the show. Episode 79 Vampires of Transylvania. I am your host, Al Reidenauer, and this show, Bone and Sickle, examines the intertwining of horror and folklore in a historical context. I started the show as a way to further explore this area of intersection after writing my book, The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas. Bone and Sickle only exists thanks to the generosity of our Patreon donors who receive monthly rewards, including a short bonus episode. I'll have more on Patreon at the end of our show.
1: might well be termed the land of superstition. For nowhere else does this curious, crooked plant of delusion flourish as persistently and in such a bewildering variety. It would almost seem as though the whole species of demons, pixies, witches, and hobgoblins driven from the rest of Europe by the wand of science had taken refuge within this mountain rampart
0: Those are the opening sentences of the article, Transylvanian Superstitions, penned in 1885 by Emily Gerard, a uh, Scottish writer then living in Transylvania, that is the uh, central area of Romania that's bounded on the east by the Carpathian Mountains. The uh, passage is mirrored in these lines spoken by Jonathan Harker in Bram Stoker's Dracula.
1: I read that every known superstition in the world is gathered into the horseshoe of the Carpathians as if it were the center of some sort of imaginative whirlpool.
0: Transylvania may have never acquired its uh, pop culture link with horror if Stoker hadn't stumbled into Gerard's writing on the region, the article, and also an 1888 book, The Land Beyond the Forest. In fact, originally, Stoker had planned to set the novel in Styria, the uh, southeastern region of modern Austria, which had been the setting for uh, Sheridan Le Fanu's 1871 novella, Carmilla, uh, whose title character was also a vampire and a countess. Gerard attributes Transylvania's uniquely roiling stew of folklore to the different peoples living there, the Germans, who built seven fortified cities there in the Middle Ages, the Hungarians, the Romani, that some call gypsies, and the Wallachians, whose uh, roots are said to extend into antiquity to the uh, civilization of the Dacians. The uh, Germans formed a particularly enduring bridge to Western European culture, and Gerard, who did not speak Romanian particularly well, seems to have derived much of her Transylvanian folklore from descriptions penned by a German writer living there, a Wilhelm von Schmidt whose 1865 article, The Year and Its Days in Thought and Custom of the transylvanian Romanians" was published in the Austrian Review. I mention von Schmidt because it's through him that a particular word for vampire ended up in the horror lexicon, namely Nosferatu. Thanks to Gerard's repetition of von Schmidt's assertion about that word, Stoker has Dr. Van Helsing declare that Nosferatu is the Transylvanian term for vampire, which it is not. Nosferatu doesn't appear in any publication before von Schmidt, and so it's generally assumed to represent his own misunderstanding of some other word. A resemblance to the Greek Nosophoros, meaning...
1: Disease-bearing
0: seems to have resonated with F.W. Murnau, whose 1922 film Noseratu depicts the vampire bringing a plague to Germany. However, there's no Greek population in Transylvania, and Romanian bears no relation to that language, so that's probably not it. The best explanation involves a misunderstanding of the Romanian word nekeratu, meaning
1: unclean one.
0: It's a sort of circumlocution for the devil, sometimes also used for incubus, but without any particular connection to vampires, other than perhaps the nighttime visits. In Romania, there are two words for vampiric beings, which Gerard seems to have uh, subsumed under the word nosferatu, and they are moroi and strigoi. I'll be using the male forms of the words, though these beings can be of either sex. A moroi is a malevolent being that rises from the grave or emanates evil from the grave as a ghost or evil spirit, sickening or killing the living. And despite being a spirit, it's also often described as having a physical presence resembling the deceased. Moroi is also the word specific to the troublesome earthbound spirits of infants who have died without baptism. The strigoi, related to the Latin striga for witch, is a more frequently used term describing something much the same as moroi, though perhaps a bit more physical and well-defined. They can either take the form of the deceased human or of certain animals. Those fated to become undead strigoi in life may possess supernatural powers, making them similar to witches, So, there are also living Strigoi, which can't be said for Moroid. The two terms tend to blur together, along with uh, two other entities, the Vrkolač and the prikolic. though these latter two are perhaps better covered in a future episode on Romanian werewolves, which they resemble more. Another woman from the UK who was a bit more precise with her uh, folkloric terms is Agnes Murgoch, a trained zoologist who married a Romanian professor, moved there and developed an interest in the local lore. We'll be using her article, The Vampire in Romania, published in the journal Folklore in 1926. Murgoch is uh, one of the best English-language sources because she was a friend and colleague of the famous Romanian folklorist, Tudor Pampfile, and provides in her text uh, translations of the uh, folk tales he collected. I'll also occasionally reference a Romanian book from 1907, Folk Medicine, by Gregorio Rigo, in which I found a large and unexpected trove of regional vampire lore. While living an evil life makes one more likely to become a strigoi or moroi, an individual who does not receive proper burial rites will not go peacefully into the afterlife, but live on to destroy those who fail to fulfill their funereal obligations. Namely, this would be his family and relations. Transylvanians have quite a rigorous regimen of funeral customs, beginning with the moment of death, at which the dying one, according to Murgotsch,
1: must have a burning candle put into his hand, for it is considered to be the greatest of all misfortunes if a man die without a candle.
0: The body must be washed immediately, and in some vicinities, coins must be placed in the hands, under the tongue, or fixed into the plaited hair of women. Preparations must be conducted in a closed room, lest a domestic animal would come in contact or cross over the body, particularly a cat leaping over the body, and particularly a black one, or even approaching the corpse can be a problem. Priests must provide the necessary prayers and professional mourners offer traditional lamentations or bocchette, which is what you're hearing. Throughout the process, the spirit of the deceased was imagined to remain attached and alert within the corpse. And, according to Murgoch,
1: In many places, two openings, corresponding to the ears of the deceased, are cut out in the wood of the coffin to enable him to hear the songs of mourning which are sung on either side of him as he is carried to the grave.
0: The spirit is traditionally said to linger with the body in the grave for forty days. After about five years, the corpse is disinterred and...
1: If decomposition is not then complete... It is supposed that the corpse is a vampire. If it is complete and the bones are white and clean, it is a sign that the soul has entered into eternal rest. The bones are washed in water and wine and put in clean linen. A religious service is held and they are reinterred.
0: The Moroi, according to my research, is not specifically said to drink blood, Rather, it's said to eat people, specifically eat hearts and sometimes livers of those related to them. At least that's by preference, failing that, they might also attack cattle and chickens and other animals or eat corpses found in the cemetery. They rise from the graves every night but Saturday, prowling the land until the cock crows. Sometimes they may be mistaken for or present themselves as living mortals, but they can also be invisible. Appearing as humans, they may carry the lighted tapers placed in their hands upon death, or even carry their coffins on their heads. If there are unexplained deaths in a village and a moroi is suspected, there are various methods to ascertain whether one actually resides in the local churchyard. Borgoch relates the story of a Transylvanian by the name of Dimitriu Vaidanu, who suspects his mother-in-law of being a vampire and in accordance with a widespread and common tradition, brings a horse to the graveyard to see if her grave is home to a vampire. In this case, the horse is led to the graveyard, stops at the woman's grave, neighs and stomps and snorts, indicating, dig here, they do and find her
1: Sitting like a Turk, with long hair falling over her face, with all her skin red and with fingernails frightfully long.
0: It's typical of both Moroi and Strigoi in their graves, with hair and nails continuing to grow and bodies turned or contorted in the coffin. The red complexion here represents a sort of post-mortem vitality. they're also sometimes said to have faces reddened with the blood of their last meal the drinking of blood is mentioned in the stories of the Strigoi though they are also more frequently said to simply eat their victims the uh, pop culture notion of vampires as seducers is also faintly mirrored in certain stories we'll get to later But the uh, most recognizable similarity with pop culture vampires is an aversion to garlic. Muragoch mentions garlic rubbed on thresholds by which the vampire might cross when entering, not just doors and windows, but also the chimney and keyholes. Crosses made of garlic, presumably the cloves, are also mentioned. And similar precautions are to be taken in cowsheds, also as the Strigoi may attack animals and a knife or scythe placed under the pillow will also repel a nighttime attack. Salt and millet and poppy and hemp seeds are also preventatives, as the vampire has some inexplicable compulsion to count tiny grains or seeds, which prevents him from getting around to feed on his victims.
1: I count slowly, slowly, slowly getting faster Once I start in counting, it's very
0: hard to stop hey, faster. One becomes strigoi for reasons similar to those creating the Moroi Not only should cats not leap over the corpse but in some cases it's said a man must not step over the corpse or even cast a shadow upon it The folk medicine book I've mentioned lists these causes
1: Lead a life of sin die without being married, die by execution for perjury, die by suicide, die from a witch's curse.
0: And Murgoch emphasizes that those who engage in magic are especially prone to becoming Srigoi. The Strigoi, like the Moroi, return from the grave to attack those related to them. But it doesn't stop there, as Murgoch explains.
1: First, it destroys its relations, and then It destroys men and animals in its village and in its country. Next, it passes into another country, or to where another language is spoken.
0: The Strigoi's visits to its former home can sometimes also involve other kinds of behavior.
1: He comes back in the night and speaks with the family. He may eat whatever he finds in dishes and knock things about, or he may help with the housework and cut wood. Female vampires also come back to their children.
0: Elsewhere, it's noted that when uncovered in their graves, vampires who've been raiding the family's larders can be found with their mouths smeared not with blood, but cornmeal, as a form of polenta is a staple of Romanian cuisine. And the idea of vampires attempting to resume another form of domestic routine, in this case uh, rather like an incubus, is also suggested in the folk medicine collection where I find...
1: In Bihor, in the west of the country, widows slept with rags between their legs, so that the Strigoi did not return to bed.
0: Well, it's fairly difficult to draw clear distinctions between these two breeds of vampires, in some cases the terms may be used interchangeably, this isn't the case when it comes to the living Strigoi I've mentioned. Living Strigoi, who will be prone to evil and working magic, are often said to be born with red hair and or blue eyes, to be born out of wedlock, or to be born as the seventh child in a family of the same sex. If one's mother did not eat salt during pregnancy, or had a black cat cross her path, you may also be born a Strigoi. Also dangerous is to be born with a call, sometimes called a
1: veiled birth.
0: That is, uh, those rare cases where the infant is delivered with the amniotic sac intact over the head. If the membrane is quickly removed, the child may be spared this fate, but should it swallow a bit of the call, then it's doomed. In Transylvania, where belief in the evil eye was strong, this power was also associated with the veiled birth, and living strigoi, like witches, were said to possess this power. Certain references to vampires eating their victims seems to refer to the evil eye's ability to waste the vitality of its victim. A pregnant woman who is the recipient of this malevolent gaze, unsurprisingly, was also in danger of birthing a strigoi. And finally, a child born with a tail will also be a vampire. Whether it's framed as an anomaly of human birth or an aspect of a folkloric monster, strigoi are not infrequently described as having tails. Living strigoi, of course, are just as active during the daylight hours as during the night, but their supernatural abilities increase with the moon as it waxes and decrease as it wanes. They're also said to be capable of a sort of a astral travel, sending their souls out of their bodies when they sleep. This being folklore, rather than metaphysics or theology, the soul takes a physical form. that have a small animal like a fly, a flea, bedbug, or butterfly. And in the town of Votia, the Strigoi take the form of a death's head moth, appropriately enough. In these smaller forms, the vampire can enter bedchambers via keyholes or chinks in the woodwork, hence the need to rub keyholes with garlic. They're also said to enter the mouths of humans when they're open to sneeze, unless, of course, an appropriate blessing is immediately uttered. Sometimes the strigoi also take the form of larger animals, including toads, cats, dogs, horses, lambs, or pigs. However, I didn't find anything explicitly mentioning wolves, or bats, I'm sad to say. Murugoc also relates a tale in which seven strigoi descend upon a house in the form of seven flames, which sounds a bit like Romanian witches or striga, known to travel about together as dancing specks of light or stars. When someone suspected of living the life of a strigoi dies, there are a number of precautions outlined by Murugoc.
1: Small stones and incense should be put in the mouth, nose, ears, and navel, and under the fingernails, so that the vampire may have something to gnaw. Garlic may also be placed in the mouth. A nail may be put under the tongue. The coffin should be bound with the woody vines of wild roses or other bands of wood.
0: The correctly formulated adjurations spoken by a priest may sometimes be enough to seal the vampire within his grave, though of course the most reliable way to keep the undead from rising is to pin him in his grave. This is where the stake is employed, usually more as a preventative than as a means of final destruction as in the movies. Stakes heated until red hot are sometimes called for. And uh, my volume on Romanian folk medicine describes further measures.
1: Often, when a strigoi is buried, some drive iron nails into the wrists, feet, and heart, then pour quicklime over the body to speed its disintegration.
0: Detecting the grave of a strigoi, if it's not been recognized as such at the time of burial, uh, can be accomplished with the same horse-leading technique I described earlier, It's also said a Gander, a male goose, will refuse to walk over a uh, Strigoi's grave, if that seems more convenient. And simpler still, the grave in some instances could be identified by small holes located near the headstone by which the creature comes and goes. After uncovering the Strigoi in his grave, the body may be simply reburied with further measures, usually some version of staking, for instance, in the town of Zernesti, Morgochi says,
1: Iron forks are put into the heart, eyes, and breast, and the body is revered face downwards.
0: Usually, however, a more destructive approach is called for. As in this case, from the town of Amaresti, described by Morgochi, several months after the death of an old woman, subsequent deaths in her family, and illness striking her grandchildren, she comes under suspicion of being a vampire.
1: The sons became anxious, dug her up one night, cut her in two, and buried her again. Still, the deaths did not cease. They dug her up a second time, and what did they see? The body whole without a wound. It was a great marvel. They took her and carried her into the forest and put her under a great tree in a remote part of the forest. There they disemboweled her, took out her heart from which blood was flowing, cut it in four, put it on hot cinders, and burnt it. They took the ashes and gave them to children to drink with water. They threw the body on fire, burnt it, and buried the ashes of the body. Then, the death ceased.
0: The most sure way of destroying Romanian vampires, however, is not merely to burn the heart, but the whole body. It's often said that if so much as a small piece of bone remains intact, the vampire could again rise up from this fragment. The immolation of bodies of suspected vampires became so common that the Metropolitan or Archbishop Necatria of Bucharest sent out a circular during the plague of 1813 asking priests to identify communities which were burning vampires and to please refrain from supporting such activities. The destruction of Moroi seems to generally follow the same rules. In the uh, 1907 volume on Folk Medicine, I find a few additional details, including the notion of removing the heart and boiling it in wine, burning bodies with kerosene, or applying tar to the corpse. The use of tar is also mentioned in a curse-breaking chant I discovered on YouTube, which you're hearing now.
1: You can hear the words Moroi, repeated at
0: It's a little difficult to ascertain the exact source of the recording, though the recited words are provided. The curse breaker is a woman by the name of Nicolia, who is being addressed by the Moroi's victim, saying,
1: "I'm screaming." I am lamenting because a moroi has arisen, moroi, a live moroi, a dead moroi, on a large open field. I came face to face with it, with one of its claws, it pierced my chest, the other one, it pierced my back, and it ate me, it ate my meat, it drank my blood, and it sucked my bone marrow. Fetch some tar and three sharp spindles because they're good against Moroi. She will fetch some incense and get a knife. We grabbed it. We cut it. We poured tar over it. We stabbed it with the three sharp spindles. We lit incense. We cut it with a knife. We threw it into the fire. We burned it. We charred it. Moroi, Moroi, Moroi.
0: Now that you know how to destroy Romanian vampires, let's look a bit more at their activities as described in folk tales collected by Tudor Pamphile, uh, which appear in Mogocci's translations. Uh, first, a couple of stories of living Strigoi behaving as witches,
1: there was a lady of the highest society in Botosan who was dressed up in beautiful Parisian clothes for a party. On December 31st, she went into her nursery, got out by the chimney, and came back all in rags and exhausted. A lad who was in service with a female vampire noticed once that she was covered with blood during the daytime. He watched her closely and saw that she anointed herself with something and went out by the chimney. The lad also anointed himself with the ointment in the box and went out of the chimney after his mistress. He arrived at a far-off desert region where the vampires fought. He watched them stabbing one another and fighting. The vampires go with their bodies, not their souls only. The ointment with which the vampires anoint themselves is made of the grease of serpents, hedgehogs, and badgers.
0: Other tales describe the vampire stealing the power, uh, vitality, or productivity of people and animals.
1: There was once a female vampire who had no cow of her own. However, she kept a wooden cow in her attic and milked it day and night continually. She had taken all the milk of other people's cows and brought it to her own wooden cow.
0: Just to remind you how genuine folk tales and folklore beings can break all the rules laid out for them in Wikipedia and TV and video games, another tale has a Strigoi going to confession. She reveals to the priest that she's been taking the power of neighbor's cattle.
1: The priest said to her, Take the butter from this milk, go into the forest, anoint a tree with it, and then, after three days, go back and see what happens. She did this and found a great number of serpents and other horrible creatures in the butter. You must know, said the priest, that these will suck your blood in the next world, because you have taken power from everything in this world.
0: In some regions, this sort of theft becomes even more pervasive.
1: Some take the milk and power of women. Some have special power over bread. Others over rain, over hens, or over bees. They take the power of bees and bring it to their mistress. If the bees lose their power, they no longer collect honey, and they have nothing to eat, even for themselves. Oh... The
0: poor oh. bees. Well, Strigoi who act like witches are generally female. Male Strigoi sometimes approximate the seducer role Stoker highlighted in Dracula, as in this tale.
1: Once, when an evening gathering was in full swing, in came an uninvited guest, the vampire. But no one knew that he was a vampire. He was in the form of a handsome youth, full of fun. He said, good day, very politely, sat down on a bank beside the girls and began to talk. And all the girls imagined that he was a youth from another part of the village. Then the vampire began to tell stories and jokes so that the girls did not know what to do for laughter.
0: Eventually, he focuses on a particular girl who happens to be spinning flax into linen while socializing. His teasing intensifies and he begins pinching her, causing her to start and drop the distaff, or staff on which she holds the unspun material.
1: At the moment her distaff fell, when she stooped to pick it up, what did she see? The tail of a vampire. Frightened out of her wits, she ran away with the linen. She ran into a forest, old as the world and black as her fear.
0: Some of her companions go to search for her, while the vampire's rage at her disappearance escalates.
1: Where could she be? You must fetch her wherever she is, roared the vampire, with bloodshot eyes and hair standing on end. As the girl could not be found, the vampire killed all the rest of the merrymakers. He sucked their blood, he threw their flesh and bones under the bed, cut off their lips, and put their heads in a row in the window. They looked as if they were laughing. He strung up their intestines on a nail, and then he fled away.
0: In the forest, he encounters her hiding under a beech tree, and demands to know why she fled. But her fear prevents her from answering.
1: You are afraid, little girl, he said. Come home with me. You will feel better there.
0: And he drags her off.
1: They arrived at a hole in the depth of the forest, and she saw that this was the home of the vampire. He pressed her to enter first. No, no, I don't want to. You go first. So the vampire went in and began to sweep and clear up. The girl, however, stopped up the hole with the lengths of linen and fled quickly towards the east. In her flight, she saw a little light a long way off. She ran towards the light came to a house and found it empty except for a dead man who was lying stretched out on a table with a torch at his head and his hand crossed on his breast. What was she to do?
0: Exhausted and confused, she hides behind a stove, but somehow that handful of linen failed to permanently block the vampire in his cave, and realizing that she probably sought shelter in the nearby house, he heads there. In a furious state
1: he came into the house and the dead man rose and they fought and wrestled until the cock crew and the girl awoke now the light was out the dead man was gone and the only sound was the song of a little cricket the girl was left alone with her guardian angel the dead man and the vampire both vanished at cock crow for both were vampires
0: But the story doesn't end there. She falls asleep and then wakes thinking it was all a dream. And then she falls back to sleep again.
1: When she woke again and saw all the beauties of the forest and heard all the songs of the birds, she was amazed and thought herself in heaven.
0: In this dreamlike state, she returns home where she tries to tell her parents about the vampire.
1: And what beautiful things she had seen in the woods of paradise. The parents looked at her, full of amazement and doubt, made the sign of the cross. The girl sank into the ground deeper and deeper, for she too had become a vampire. The vampire had bewitched her, and the beauty of the dwelling in the wood had enchanted her too much.
0: Other vampire abduction stories resemble the folk tales and ballads of the undead lover described in an earlier episode of that name. Here's an example from Valachia, uh, south of Transylvania. A male suitor is rejected by the parents of the young woman he loves, becomes despondent, and hangs himself. As a result, he becomes a vampire and then returns to visit his lover by night. When she reveals to an old woman of the village that she has been receiving such visits, she offers a suggestion. And when the vampire comes the following night...
1: The girl, following the advice of the wise old woman, fixed into the back of his coat a needle, to which was attached one end of the thread from a large ball of thread. The vampire went away, and the ball unrolled and unrolled for some time, and then, all at once, it stopped. The girl understood what had happened and followed the clue given by the thread. She traced it along the road and found that it entered into the churchyard and went straight into a grave.
0: She repeats the process the following night and...
1: It was not long before she saw the vampire coming out, going to another grave, opening it, eating the heart of the dead man buried there and then setting out towards the village to visit her.
0: Not finding her in her bed that night, The vampire demands to know where she's been and becomes suspicious of what she may have learned, threatening to kill her father if she doesn't reveal her secret. She keeps her silence, and the vampire follows through on this threat. The same is repeated with her mother, who also dies, and eventually he threatens the woman herself, but she keeps silent. Before she dies, which seems inevitable, she begs her family not to bury her in the churchyard in which the vampire prowls. So when she does die, she's buried in the woods where a marvelous flower grows on her grave. Her spirit inhabits the flower, which is taken home by an admiring prince. Eventually she appears to the prince in human form and becomes fully mortal, and the two are married. But the vampire doesn't seem to be done with her yet. One day on their way to church, she spies the vampire waiting for her. She runs to the sanctuary of the church but he follows her inside.
1: She hid behind a holy picture. The vampire stretched out his hand to seize her, when all at once, the holy picture fell on his head, and he disappeared in smoke.
0: Now, a reason I was particularly eager to bring you this episode in November is because there is a special night in Romania this month called... Night of the Strigoi, that is, November 29th. The following day is St. Andrew's Day. He's the patron saint of Romania, said to have been the first to evangelize the native Dacians. St. Andrew's Eve, or the Night of the Strigoi, also corresponds roughly to the New Year celebrated by the Dacians and was regarded as a time when the dead returned and is therefore associated with the Strigoi. Like Halloween beginning the Celtic winter and having its calendrical opposite on May Day, preceded by Valpurgisnacht, Romania's wintry season of vampires is bookended by St. Andrew's and St. George's Eve, which in our first uh, Valpurgisnacht episode we talked about Stoker using in his novel, Dracula. And so on St. Andrew's Eve, when the Strigoi are particularly feared, they meet with the Moroi and Vökelatsch, those werewolf-like beings mentioned earlier, gathering in remote places to...
1: Decide on their program of evil for the coming year. Who is to be killed and by whom? Elsewhere it is said that at these same boundaries, where neither the cuckoo sings nor the dog barks, the dead vampires meet the living ones and teach them all sorts of incantations and spells. They meet also in churchyards, in ruined or deserted houses, or in the forest.
0: They're often said to fly like witches, riding on various animals and implements, according to Murgoc, on
1: snails, barrels, and broomsticks.
0: And also, prominently, on hemp breaks, which is unfortunately something I will have to explain. It's a part of a setup used to prepare hemp to crush the outer stalk so they drop away from the useful inner fiber. Imagine something like a guillotine-style paper cutter. The part that's dropped, like a blade, could be removed and ridden like a broomstick, we're told. But it's also the preferred weapon of Strigoi, who like to use it when fighting each other, something they do at their St. Andrew's Eve gatherings. The hemp break pops up with surprising frequency in Transylvanian Strigoi lore, though I don't believe I've ever seen one in a vampire movie. Apparently, the Romanian vampires are also inclined to battle with crows, according to the folk medicine volume. The night of the Strigoi has also been the occasion for young people to have gatherings somewhat like Halloween parties, at which fortunes might be told. Garlic features prominently in food, but also in a ritual called...
1: The guarding of the garlic.
0: As the party goes on into the night, an old woman is designated to keep vigil over three garlic bulbs set in a vase. By the dawn, these bulbs have acquired special protective properties and are divided amongst the attendees to be used only in cases of the direst emergency.
1: Some people are born strigoi, and some people become strigoi. After death.
0: Here's something with which to pass the time until Strigoi night. The 2009 British comedy Strigoi, featuring Romanian actors and locations, I won't say too much about it, other than it's about a native son returning from Italy to his Romanian village where he's entangled in conflicts and a possible case of murder, which may or may not be linked to Strigoi activity. You are a good boy, Vlad. Cut out his heart. I've seen some Romanian commentators on the film describe the depiction of village life as fairly accurate. And it's not like the belief in vampires has disappeared in the 20th or 21st century.
1: Though the cases
0: uh, that do make it into the news now don't seem to come as much from Transylvania, but more from the south, the regions closer to uh, the Bulgarian border. As recently as 2018, Romanian news sources reported on a case in the largely Romani-populated village of Sohatu. Uh, The uh, visual accompanying this news segment you're hearing shows villagers gathered in a rural cemetery through which a horse is being led for reasons you will now understand. As it turns out, this Strigoi had been behaving like a poltergeist. For at least 10 nights, it was reported, the Homes in the area were being pelted by rocks from an invisible source. As you can hear there. For over a week, hardly anyone in the village slept. Armed police were dispatched, but the stone throwing did not stop, further convincing residents that only a supernatural being would persist in the face of armed officers. Incense was burned, and the local priest, Uncle Marin, was called, but all to no avail. Eventually, it was determined that the malevolent spirit was that of an old woman, Baba Iona, who had died some time before, and had a reputation for meanness. An investigation of the attic of an abandoned and overgrown house where the Strigoi was suspected to be lingering resulted in the investigator falling down the stairs and sustaining a broken hand. I don't see that any bodies were ever dug up and burned, but the last report I find is by a local journalist whose account is interwoven with confusing references to local politics, but it does contain intriguing and presumably related details about pillows filled with nails and the discovery of a doll with animal hair and dried frogs with their mouths sewn tight with red thread. I'll close out with one last story of the modern Moroi in Romania, also in the south. This one made international news in 2004 when six men, including a 63-year-old shepherd named Mircea Mitrica from the village of Celeru, was charged with desecrating a grave. Mitrica had been contacted by his friend, Georgo Marinescu, about a possible Moroi problem after his son, daughter-in-law, granddaughter, and then wife had fallen ill. In fact, he was pretty sure the Moroi in question was his uncle, Petre Toma, who several months before had gotten drunk and fallen off his wagon and been trampled to death by his horse. Mitrica was convinced when he saw how Marinescu's wife was wasting away from a mysterious lack of appetite and wandering the house and, according to contemporary reporting in the Bucharest magazine Black Sea, crying out...
1: HE'S ON TOP OF ME! HE'S EATING ME! HE'S KILLING ME!
0: And so it was off to the graveyard to dig up Uncle Petr. Betrika, in the Black Sea interview, described digging up the vampire.
1: His body had changed color, his face was red, and his beard had started to grow. At the corner of his mouth was fresh blood. I cut into the chest with a pitchfork and opened the rib cage. Inside his body was a pool of blood. As we pulled out the heart, it was still beating. That's when we knew he was a moroi.
0: The extracted heart was burnt to ash, boiled into a tea, and given to Marinescu's wife to drink by the numbers and resulting, according to Matrika, in the woman's swift recovery. When Thomas's daughter complained to police about the affair, Mitrika and his five collaborators did not deny mutilating the corpse, but pointed to the successful results as justification for their action. Though uh, he was found guilty of desecrating the grave, the sentence was suspended by the judge, who in light of local beliefs, wrote the whole thing off as a matter of cultural differences. And with that happy ending, we'll leave off on Romanian vampires, though I'll certainly be bringing you more lore from that country over the coming year, including perhaps a bit on the folkloric traditions of Christmas in Transylvania, as I will be visiting Romania next month. But uh, Not to worry, we'll still have our usual December shows, though one will be recorded in advance, to air while I'm off gathering material for Bowden's sickle with the listeners in mind and, in a sense, coming with me.
1: Come with me to Transylvania. You'll like it there. You'll look grand in Transylvania. Cobwebs.
0: hope everyone's been enjoying our show and that you uh, might have the opportunity to leave a review if you do, as Kaleoxico did recently. Thank you for that. Because we haven't had uh, closing segments in the last couple of shows, we have to catch up on thanking a lot of new subscribers, happily. So we'll skip all the other Patreon wheedling and begging. You already know about the extra episodes, the book and the soundscapes, all that's available as rewards. And so instead, I will offer our heartfelt thanks to those who have signed up recently. That is Dita Jensen, Brandon Allendorf, Tyson Anderson, Halia A., Dina Chapman, Andreas Nagel, Tina, Justin Rooney, Richard Lesch, Ben Mool, Bailey DeVoe, and thanks to Andrea Walter, who increased her pledge. I have a few new members who told me a bit about themselves when subscribing, which is always nice. There is Ramon Martin, uh, who's uh, involved with Krampus activities in Portland. Uh, Matthew Inapanet, if that's how you pronounce it, apologies if not. He's a paleontologist and listens to the show in a room filled with ancient bones. And another Matthew, Matthew Bonadonna, who runs tabletop games and writes short stories, sometimes inspired by the show. Uh, There is Morna Lisa, Art and Candles, who is a German artist working in folkloric themes, and her illustrations and candles and such can be seen on her Instagram at underscore schwarzmahler, schwarzmahler. Also Jason Rezek, who's a writer and musician and has an Instagram, Facts of Folklore, which link to some of his music, including some instrumental songs using bones and banjos. And Vanessa Lauren, who's... uh, Photography with a bit of folk flavor, along with her music and other creative pursuits, can be found on her Instagram, uh, Vanessa, LauRin. Oh, anyway, quite a wonderful harvest of listeners for the harvest season, for which we are very grateful. Bowdoin Sickle is written and produced by me, Al Ridenour. Mrs. Carswell is played by Sarah Chavez, whose projects and writing related to death and culture you can track at sarah-chavez.com. Thanks so much for listening, and happy Night of the Stigoi to you all.